Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn, and I'm here with my Emmy-nominated best friend, Ryan Nicodemus. <laughs> oh. How does it feel to be friends with an Emmy-nominated person? I'm honored to be in your presence. <laughs> <laughs> Not only are we New York Times bestsellers, oh, we have all the laurels. <laughs> <laughs> Who's a laurel? All right, we're going to have some fun today, but first, something serious. Our good friend T.K. Coleman, known to many of you as the third minimalist from time to time, he was recently struck by a car during an evening stroll through his neighborhood. And, um, well, he almost died. He certainly could have. But thankfully, he was rushed to the hospital and, and he survived. And now, a month after the crash, he's back on the Minimalist Podcast to talk about the benefits of near-death experiences. Mm. Then this Thursday on the Minimalist Private Podcast, TK, Ryan, and I are going to talk about political clutter. And because all three of us have different political beliefs, we'll debate some touchy subjects that we don't usually talk about. Well, we never talk about in public, but we'll talk about it on the private podcast. You can check that out at patreon.com slash The Minimalist. Your support keeps our podcast and YouTube channel 100% advertisement free. Ladies and gentlemen, TK Coleman is in the studio today. Yeah! Woo! TK! What's happening, y'all? It's good to be back. Well, yeah. you were in a, uh, a no- Emmy-nominated film. We'll have some fun with that real quick. So our last <laughs> film, Less Is Now, uh, which came out on Netflix last year, I got the email last week and they said, hey, you're nominated for an Emmy. I'm like, who's sending this joke email to me? Right. But it turns out that it is true. There's nothing that you can do as a listener if you're listening to this. There's nothing to vote on or anything like that. If we win, we win. If we don't, we don't. But how awesome is that that we have the opportunity to share the film with more people mm-hmm. because it's going to add a, a brand new spotlight yeah. this year on Less Is Now. But let's be honest. If we win, what does it really mean for us, Josh? P- pure, true unadulterated happiness <laughs> for the rest of our lives. Oh, man. Does that you'll mean if you'll we never don't... want anything else. Right. So if we don't win, I have to be depressed? Yeah, you must be. And oh, in fact, goodness. you can't be happy until we do win. Oh my goodness. I do want to say thanks real quick to Matt Diavella, our director, Chris and Jacob and the whole team over at Booklight. Yeah. And we'll say thanks to Evan and everyone else. Like Evan helps with the lighting in the studio. In fact, he was just here a few moments ago yeah. tweaking some of the lighting here in the studio because you can see we are in our new abyss of a studio. It's just the black (laughs) background. It's actually uh, 7,000 square feet that we're sitting in right now. (laughs) You can't tell them. Optical illusion. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Evan helped light this and uh, he lit the last film as well. And uh, podcast, Sean, Jordan, everyone else who contributed to the film. We are so grateful for that. But today is a special day, Ryan. Because we won an Emmy. Nominated for it. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. <laughs> Way more special than that. Yeah. This, Alabama, do we have something for TK? Because today is TK's 11th appearance. Yes. On the podcast. It's time, TK. Unbelievable. Think about the number 11 
Who has 11 rings? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> is this is this my Bill Russell day? This is your Bill Russell day. Today, oh man. We have 11 rings <laughs> for TK Coleman. You got to put them all on. This, you got to wear these right for here. the podcast. You got to wear them for the whole podcast. Yeah. No, I need them back after because Ella needs them back. <laughs> um, but we have we need the photo. So Jordan, here's what I want you to do. If you're watching the video version here on YouTube, I want you to put up a photo right over here next to TK as he's putting these on. Of course, with Bill Russell wearing his 11 rings. As as the great Michael Jordan, philosopher of happiness he is, says, it don't mean a thing (laughs) if it ain't got that ring. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was thinking when you talked about the Emmy, I was like, if you win this Emmy, that means you only need five more to be happy. That's right. (laughs) No, we need the EGOT. (laughs) I was hoping that we... So an EGOT is if you get an Emmy... A G, which is a Grammy. Yep. Uh, o is Oscar. T, Tony. Yes. And I just want to be nominated for all of those and lose. All, I want to be the that first be ever EGOT nominee. Look yes. at We got to look at TK. Oh, my goodness. You look like Thanos. <laughs> 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 just don't snap your fingers with those I got those rings on. Let's bling. Hey, rings can't buy happiness, but they certainly can amplify the happiness you are. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's uh, um, let's let's turn this into a championship worthy episode today, TK. Let's do it, man. We're gonna um, pivot here. You, Thank you. Don't have you. To wear this whole time. Y- you <laughs> are. <laughs> take them off. Take them off. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's like, no, definitely take them off. <laughs> Danny got some photos of you. We're good there. Danny unknown with uh, with the photos, so you'll be able to see that on. TK's Instagram. He's at official TK Coleman on Instagram podcast. Sean, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But all three of us have had a near death experience within the last eight years. Ryan had one eight years ago. Mm-hmm. I had one a couple of years ago and I had another one again this year and uh, a big health scare. But and we'll talk about those a bit on the private podcast this week. But I really wanted to open it up for you today, TK. You told this story, the long version, during our Chicago event. Just last week, we did an event in Chicago with you. But I thought for our broad podcast audience here, you could give us a concise version of what happened. Because you had a legitimate near-death experience. And then we've got some questions here we'll tap into to talk about some of the lessons that you Mm -hmm. learned from that whole thing. Yeah, man. So my wife and I, we like to go for walks every day. And so one night we took a walk. And it's funny because my wife didn't actually want to go for a walk that night. And I pushed the issue. I was like, we really should get out tonight. I just got a feeling I need to be out there on the street tonight. Oh, my goodness. So listen to your wife. Um, <laughs> so we went for a walk and we were crossing this intersection where the person who was making a left, they were they were getting onto the uh, freeway entrance and um Man, they, you know, I had the right of way. They didn't yell. I, 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 you know, I don't think they really saw me or what was going on. But um, next thing you know, man, I just got smacked by an SUV. Mm. Um, and it, it was just a, a weird, crazy experience because you don't know until you're in a moment like that how many thoughts you can have in a single second, you know? Mm. And, and they say things like your life flashes before your eyes. There's a glimpse of truth to that because you go through so many things. You you deny that this is happening. You you uh, just know that this is going to end and it's just going to be a kind of thing where you're annoyed by somebody. And then I also, I, I mentioned this when we were in Chicago. When I was in fifth grade, I was talking too much in gym class. And my teacher at the time gave me as a punishment, I had to write a one-page paper 
And I was like, well, what's my topic? Because he would always give us these crazy topics to just send us on a run around. And he says, pedestrian safety. I was like, man, that's stupid. (laughs) Like this dude is making me write this just to mess with me, you know? Um, And so as that moment's happening, I'm thinking about that fifth grade paper. I'm like, I should have paid attention to what he wanted me to write about. But anyway, yeah, it was crazy. I think my wife was with me because um, without her there, I'm pretty confident it would have ended up a lot worse because she she called 911 and was able to get someone there. But more importantly, the driver didn't seem to be aware that they hit me, but was more responsive to my wife screaming. Oh and, and, and so when you consider that it was a freeway entrance and there was a decent amount of traffic out that night, if that driver would have kept going, which seemed to be what was going to happen, um, then there's no doubt that that the succession of traffic would have would have resulted in something a lot worse than what it turned mm. out to be. But thankfully, my wife got the driver to stop and call 911. And, uh, you know, the EMT came and, and took me away to the hospital. And uh, and there they um, at the ER, they proceeded to treat me like a drug addict who deliberately threw myself in front of a car to get some drugs because <sighs> I was begging for some pain relief oh my for the longest time. I must have like begged six people, you know, when I came to, I must have begged like six different people to give me some drugs. I was like, please, I don't want to be in pain. I don't want to want drugs, but I'm hurting. Give me something. Yeah. But they were super hesitant. And you actually, not to go on too deep of a tangent, but you actually said something about that, that kind of made sense that I hadn't thought about. I don't know if you want to. Yeah. Ryan and I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. It's the opioid capital of America. It's where I-70 meets I-75. So it's sort of this, the perfect place to traffic these, these drugs, but a lot of them end up in Dayton as well. Isn't it overdose capital? Yeah. Like more overdoses per capita than any other area in the country. Yeah. And, And Ryan, we, he and I were talking about this recently. He knows people have smashed their hand into a car door just to go to the hospital to yes. get opioids because yes. they're out. They don't have access to them. Yeah. And so it is, it's prevalent. And Ryan and I know lots of people who have overdosed. Oh, my gosh. Uh, including Ryan himself, who he talked about that in Love People Use Things. Yeah. And, and we know people who have died from overdoses mm-hmm. as well. And, and so... It's a huge problem. So I understand why they were skeptical. But at the same time, and, you know, I also have to wonder whether or not there was a racial component to to that as well. But, um, yeah, you're showing up there. You're obviously in pain. You just got hit by a car. Thank God you didn't go under the car and you were yeah. able to go on top. Yeah. Because had you gone under, totally different story. Yeah. yeah. We'd be interviewing Michelle right now instead mm-hmm. of you. Woo. Yeah. And that would not. Chills. I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm grateful you were there that evening because... It's so precious, man. You and I had a conversation right after it happened. And the thing we talked about, and to me, this is the big benefit of a near-death experience, is realizing that everything after that is all bonus time. Oh, yeah. And when Ryan almost died back in 2014, a few years ago when I almost died, you realize, like, this could be the end. But of course, it doesn't take that experience. It could always be the end. So for all of us, any of us listening, it doesn't take a near-death experience. But sometimes that near-death experience shows us just how important it is to live. Mm -hmm. And I want to dive into some of our audience questions here today because I think they'll illuminate a lot of sort of what you went through there and allow you to expand on that story a bit. So let's start with a question here from Linda on Twitter. In your moment of crisis, what mattered the most to you? In that moment, I remember 
waking up in a panic in the EMT, EMT going, where's my wife? Where's my wife? Mm. Um, because she needed to stay behind to, you know, do the police report and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't know what was going on. And I just remember freaking out being like, where's my wife? Mm. So I think the first thing is just who you love and who you're with. Because when, when you go through any kind of hardship, physically or psychologically, life reduces down to one thing, like who is in your corner in that moment, right? Like mm. who loves you? Who's with you? Who, who are you going to go through this with? Because you don't have any answers to questions. Like you have things running through your mind, like, oh my gosh, what do I look like right now? Mm. Right? Like, like seriously, like what do I look like right now? Mm. Um, is anything wrong with me? Uh, you know, do I have the ability to get back up and walk? Is this more dramatic than I fear? Is this less dramatic than I fear? Am I going to be good? What's going to happen next? You have a lot of questions, but what matters the most in that moment is like, who knows about me? Who gives an account for me? Who's with me as I go through this? That was the main thing that was on my mind. Like, if you want the first thought. Right. Mm. Your near-death experience involved your wife. She was in the car with you when you flipped over several times. Yeah. Someone ran you off the road in Washington mm -hmm. State inadvertently. And yeah. it wasn't some like a big you know, <laughs> advertising agency no. trying to take you out. No, it was just. Oh, you think advertisements <laughs> suck? Well, so is flipping your car. <laughs> but what were you yeah. thinking of? What were you thinking of? Uh, because I, I, I felt the same way. To me, my near death, both of my near death experiences were, and I've probably had more than that, but the two that really stand out to me, I. It was an ego dissolving experience in a way. Sure. Because at first, my, my first thought was, I, I, I kid you not, like, is Bex going to be okay? And is Ryan going to be okay? Mm. Like, I want to make sure they're taken care of. Mm. But what kind of hubris is that? Because it's like, oh, what, well, I'm, I'm their, their caregivers? No, they were perfectly fine and, and able bodied and, and independent on their own without me. Mm. But then all of a sudden, my hubris started dissolving and it made me realize, oh, of course they're going to be fine. Yeah. And, and so I'm wondering with you, when you had that experience, was there anything in the moment that you, what, what was, as Linda asks, in your moment of mm. crisis, what mattered most to you? Yeah, man, I remember, uh, so it unfolded where it was like slushy out, it was icy out. Um, this car tried to pass us going like 80 or 85 miles an hour in slush and lost control. He started to go towards the median and then he overcorrected and then came back in front of us. And as he was coming up, I'm like, okay, tap the brakes. Like, maybe I can stop this. And then we hit. And him going off the road pulled me off the road with him. So then I'm like, it's okay. It's, and literally out loud, I'm saying, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And then like the back, I felt the back end. We got in the ditch and I felt the back end come up. And I'm like, oh my God, this is not okay. Car rolls. And I just remember as it was rolling, I was worried about my head hitting. But thank, thank God we had seatbelts on. Like that saved me from like hitting the roof of the car. Um, I was worried about landing and this is all going through my head. Like as we're, you know, crashing, I was worried about landing upside down. I'm like, shit, if we're landing upside down, like, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. And then, uh, it did a complete flip, landed on its wheels. And I realized like, oh, thank God. Like we landed on our wheels. And then, um, I said, I, before I looked at Mariah, I was like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I didn't hear her say anything. So instantly I'm like, oh no, like I had this overwhelming feeling of like did something hit her in the head or like did she get injured way worse than I did and um yeah I, I like and I'm thinking this like as I'm like starting to look over towards her and uh 
she was just like sitting there in shock. She'd actually did get hit in the head with a snowboard, but it wasn't like um, concussion. You know, it wasn't a concussion or anything, just kind of a bump on her head, which now has taught me to like secure everything that's in the car. It's so yeah. funny. Like you I had to have that happen to be like, oh, like if we're driving with our snowboards, we need to make sure to like have them as secure as possible. So they don't hit anyone in the head. And anyway, yeah, no, it was it was really about um, it was like this denial, then this acceptance, then this like, yeah, the immediate people around me. Um, how you know, how are they? How are they going to take this? Yeah, I thought about I thought about you. I'm like, man, if that went different. I wonder how Josh would have like reacted to me dying. Like that would be so weird. Like, yeah. So it was. I I agree. Like all the people closest to me, I started to analyze and think about through different perspectives and situations. We would definitely do a weekend at Bernie's tour oh, if yes. you died. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're getting fully embalmed and so going good. on. Please do that. The last tour. Oh, please do that. That would be so good. <laughs> here's here's what I'll tell you though. And here's a lesson from both TK and, and Ryan there. And also I think from my own experience, let me tell you what you don't think about. You don't think about the material possessions. No. You don't think about the the debt that you have or Yeah. You you, you don't think about the things that you wanted, the society told you you wanted the car, the house, the walk-in closets, the designer clothes, the logos. Was I successful the, or not? And yeah. You're like, I'm about to be debt-free. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? There might I would be interested to hear from someone who um <clears throat> felt relief when they oh. had their near-death experience. I could see that. I told wow. you, you know, about this on a private podcast. I won't go into the details here in the public, but there was a moment where I contemplated that because I had so much debt back in my 20s. Mm. And it involved like, well, the only way to get rid of this car payment is to drive this car off of the cliff, basically. Mm. Quite literally. Not yeah. not metaphorically, but literally. And yeah. so mm. the point is that you don't start thinking about the things that you think are important. And the things that are important invert immediately. Mm. And the things you've been forsaking is the thing that you often think about, which yeah. leads me perfectly into... Shannon's question. Shannon from Patreon has something for us. How did TK's near-death experience change his relationships? There hasn't been a whole lot of time yet, so anything that I say remains to be tested by time because it's it's really easy to claim insight. It's mm. really easy to uh, purport to have some sort of wisdom, but yeah. You know, our claims to wisdom have to be tested by time and how we actually live. So the, the the ultimate question to that is, I don't know. But piggybacking on on what Josh just said, I, I, I heard somebody say on one of your recent episodes that if you don't make time for your wellness, you'll eventually be forced to make time for your illness. And one of the things that it makes me think about is how we we hold off living fully and freely because we have all of these things that we're worried about that are part of this story that we call future, right? And that that story is rooted in a presumptuousness of worry. Like, we think we have the luxury of existing tomorrow and the day after mm-hmm. and having all of these, you know, limitations and constraints imposed on us by a future we haven't arrived at and that we might never arrive at. And when you're in a moment where you go, man, I... I could have been dead right there. You realize just how fragile that little story is and how silly it is in many ways. And you realize, man, there are so many risks I haven't taken, so many things I haven't said, so many things I haven't tried 
because I'm trying to properly distribute my life over time. And I'm saying, well, I got time for this and I want to save some things for next week and save some things for a year from now. And it's like life has a way of saying, no, it's all right now. Mm. And, and, and that forces you to really reevaluate, you know, not just why you're living, but but how you're living, the, mm-hmm. the choices that you make. So I, I, I think one of the ways that I, I hope it changes my relationships, at least at the level of intention, I was telling my wife this just last night, is I, I tend to not approach things like, hey, it's about us and our journey together and what we can discover and explore together. And that's something that I feel very differently about. I tend to be very ambitious. And like, like when, when I heard Kobe Bryant say, um, um, friendships come and go, but championship banners hang forever. I felt like I was understood for the first time. I was like, I totally get that. Mm. Friendships come and go, man, you know, but championship banners hang forever. And I'm very legacy oriented. I'm very hustle ambition oriented. And I, I'm very unlikely to fear regretting not spending time with family and friends. And I'm more likely to regret not getting after the projects and goals I want to get after. And I can feel that inverting because I, I just realized in that moment that, hey, when you're out of here, your life is nothing more than the story that other people tell about you when mm-hmm. you're gone. And That's right. life here is all about investing in that story, you know? Yeah. And those banners, Amen. if you have the championship banner, but whatever you did to get there made you miserable continuously, then was it even worth it in the first place? Yeah, it's almost like just a reminder of misery. Yeah, Ryan and I used to have these President's Club trophies, like these big, they look mm. like weapons, right? But everything that we, you know, and they're like these, they're like statuettes and they're they're yeah. they're shimmery it's and art. shiny. Yeah, it looked like a piece of art, mm-hmm. kind of ugly art, but hey, yeah. um, corporate art, corporate, uh, corporate contemporary art. Yes. <laughs> and anyway, like everything that went into that, like it's this thing that you're supposed to be proud of. Mm. Yeah. But in in reality, I was like the director of who gives a crap, right? Like who really cares? Like, because those stores that I managed, you know, 15 years ago or whatever, most of them are closed or they've changed ownership, whatever it is. Like even the banners on a long enough timeline, they come out of the rafters, Mm. right? The building falls down. Yeah. Yeah. People forget about you. Right. Mm. And so even the people who are legendary, they're only legendary for the last 2,000 years. Jesus or Lao Tzu or Confucius or Muhammad mm-hmm. or the Buddha. But go back before that. Who's legendary from 10,000 years ago? Yeah. No one, right. obviously. And so like 10,000 years from now, will any of us be legendary? And how much does that even matter? What does matter is not necessarily, it's okay to work for legacy or whatever, but when it, continuously pulls us out of the moment, then our whole life is wasted in a way. But by the way, I I mentioned Kobe Bryant. I watched his funeral. My wife and I watched his funeral together. And one of the interesting things is because he had that legacy, right? The five championships, the MVP award. He had all the accolades. Mm -hmm. Almost every meaningful story that people told about him, this was so interesting to me. It was about a flaw that he had. It was about an imperfection. It was about stuff like, you know, Shaq making the joke about how he told Kobe there's no I in team. And Kobe says, yeah, but there's an M and an E in there for me. Right. When Kobe is alive, that was an annoying part of him that him and Shaq got into arguments about. When he died, Shaq talked about that moment and everybody laughed at it and it was clearly meaningful to him. 
several people told stories about Kobe calling them up at two in the morning, asking about basketball tips and how they dealt with problems on the court. And they all during the moment when he was alive, when they got that call, they were like, dude, do you have to call me at two in the two in the morning to talk <laughs> about basketball? But when he died, that was the meaningful moment. And so when we live, we we have all these elements of perfection that we try to achieve because we think it's that perfection that makes our life valuable. But the things that people love about us, the things that people remember the most about us, the stories they're going to tell when we die, it's the quirky stuff. It's the stuff that makes us unique. It's the stuff that's not about our perfection, but it's the stuff that makes us human, that touched us and that made us think, that made us laugh, that made us angry at you. That's the stuff that we really hold on to. So a lot of the perfection that we seek in legacy isn't even the reason that we're going to be talked about when we're gone. Mm. Let's answer a question from Rico on Facebook. Do near-death experiences result in any deeper insights or enlightenment? You know, it's funny. Um, I'm going to read this article real quick from Kapil Gupta, who has had a tremendous effect on my life since my first near-death experience. It Mm. really opened me up. And I think that not necessarily, I don't think it's self-evident that a near-death experience will lead you to a new way of doing things, or it may for a short period of time, but then things change. And so this is an essay. We'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. It's called A Glimpse of Death Opens a Man's Eyes. The wisdom behind the creation of human life omitted a very important element, death. Day-to-day existence is too accommodating, too comfortable. It lulls us into complacency. We become too much at ease with our life, too accustomed to our surroundings, too much part of a fabric. We are here for only a short time, but we live sprawled across the scaffolding of our lives as if we are going to be here forever. And because we feel this way, we have no appreciation for life. None. Everything is so easy to take for granted. The human being, by virtue of his most prevalent mental state, is a creature of the twelfth hour. Because he forever lives within 1159, he rarely feels the urgency of 12 o'clock. But occasionally, something shakes him. A sudden death, a calamity of some sort brings things into sudden perspective. He is shaken from his complacency and he is forced to confront the moment. That's what happened to you, Ryan. That's what happened to you, TK. This is the time where you can't be outside the present moment. You're not Mm. thinking about the future anymore. You are right here, right now. And it's unfortunate that it requires you to be for something like this to happen. Return the text. But eventually... The drama of the event fades, and so Mm. does he, back into his well-worn existence. Because we become so seduced by inertia, few of us ever really live. Mm. Every human being would be blessed to experience a near-death experience every six months. This would keep him on the edge. Feeling close to death makes one immediately feel close to life. The inertia suddenly disappears and the human being breathes for the first time in years. He sees the greenery of the grass and the hardness of the floor and the slow and gentle movement of the clouds. He discovers that he is alive after all. He discovers that before he is anything else, he is first and foremost a living organism, a piece of life. 
Ryan, you're a piece of life. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Coasting through life without anything to shake us from our reverie is a curse. We proceed through our daily existence as programmed zombies bound by habit and enslaved by emotion. Mm -hmm. Imagine with all your heart for the next five minutes that you were going to die at 11 p.m. tomorrow night, mm. that these would be the last 24 hours of your life. Try it. What do you immediately discard as ridiculous luxuries of the zombified life? What do you immediately cherish? How does your existence change? It is only under the prospect of death that we begin to live. An abundance of life binds, an abundance of life blinds us to its gift. It is mm. too much in supply. Thus, we do not cherish it. The vast majority of us human beings are already dead. It takes nothing less than the power of death to compel us to live. <laughs> it's, um, we talked about this on a, a private podcast recently, Ryan, about near life experiences, mm. how we go through life with one after another near life experience. Like you almost lived there. Mm -hmm. Like I did my taxes, I paid the bills, I watered the plant, whatever it was, but I wasn't really there. Mm. Like I was almost observing this body doing some things. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about what the outcome might be a day from now, a week from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, what's my legacy, Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think what Kapil brings to the forefront here with Rico's question is, yeah, you can certainly fa find a profound truth about life when you declutter the that sentiment that I have forever. We'll get mm -hmm. to it someday, next time. Mm -hmm. And I catch myself saying that some sometimes. Oh, I'll do that someday. Mm -hmm. Oh, we'll get around to it eventually. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I missed you. Next time. But what if there isn't a next time? Mm. Because at some point there isn't going to be a next time. Yeah. So let's appreciate this time right now. You know, it makes me think about the words of King Solomon, who was said to be the wisest man to have ever lived. He said, it's better to attend a funeral than a party, because although the party is more enjoyable, it is by attending the funeral that we can perceive and remember our end. And the thing about near-death experiences is that they they strip away the illusion that there is anything other than a near-death experience. Life itself is a near-death experience. And we are always brushing up against death. And so the key isn't trying to have them or wishing that we can have them, but increasing our consciousness of the fact that we are always face-to-face -face with death. And we always have near-death experiences that we don't even know we're having, right? Because our lives are being held together by so many variables that the probability of death is always higher than the probability of life when we consider like all the conditions that have to be met in order for life to be sustained. Mm. And, you know, Ryan and I both talked about with our stories that initial sense of denial where it's like, this is not happening. And that's, that's sort of just like the presumptuousness that we have about life, that that couldn't happen to me. Death couldn't happen to me. We all know in theory that it's coming for us. Every single one of us is going to die, but it just feels like surely the universe guarantees me 70 years. Right. Surely it won't happen in a way that's so ordinary or so quick, but it's coming for all of us. 
And none of us know how and when that story is going to end. And so we're always having a near-death experience. And so how do you live with that consciousness of the fact that you're always up against death? The second thing I'll say too is that um, when you have a near-death experience, there's something about staying alive and winning, staying alive that feels like winning. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like, oh, I, I won, mm. right? I defeated death. And, and that can lead to the impression that death is a form of losing, that when we die, we fail, rather than seeing it as when we die, we're finished. And I, I think about the words of, of Ram Das, who I, I taught you and I share him in common as a man that we love, where he says, death is not an outrage. It's not evidence that your life fails short. It's not evidence that something tragic has happened, although the people you leave behind will experience it as such. Death just means you're finished and your life now becomes a story that you hand over to the next generation and you trust them with it and they will decide what they do with that treasure. But we're all going to die. And when that day comes, that won't mean that we have failed, that that we didn't live up to what life was really about. Mm. Dr. Zach Bush, he's a medical doctor, a triple board certified medical doctor. And he said, uh, in fact, I want to get him on the podcast to talk about this. He he looks at death as the ultimate upgrade. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that maps on to different religious contexts as yeah. well. But even him looking at it from a non-religious context, like it is the the finish line, right? And we don't know where that finish line, it's like we're running a race, and we don't actually know when it's over yeah. until it's over, right? <laughs> yeah. Because as TK just said, like, yeah, we would like to believe that I'm going to live to 115 and then I'm going to turn in my things uh, uh, on the last day and then it's over and I'll just sort of diss- dissolve into the ether. But as TK found out, as you found out, no, sometimes it could be like that. Yeah. And now I'm gone. Mm. We're going to get to our callers on the Maximal episode this week. So if you have a question, comment for our podcast, give us a call 406-219-7839 or email a voice memo to podcast at com. We're not doing a live stream this week because we were in here early resuiting, retooling the studio mm-hmm. to make it look beautiful. But we'll get back to that next week. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round, Josh, where we answer our audience's text messages. You can text your questions, your comments, your smart remarks, your concerns. You can text all those to 937-202-4654. Now, TK, you know those texts go to both Ryan's and my phones. We should set Ryan up with that. We're out with the, we use an app called Community. Mm-hmm. And um, we should we should set TK up with it. Yeah, yes. yeah. He, he always mixes us up. Yeah, he does. Right? It's easy. <laughs> Did I say it, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys look the same. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> wait, wait. Uh, you, you said you can text concerns. Yeah, concerns, smart remarks. Hey, can, can you tell the grandmother story? Oh, my grandma's story. Uh, if you want an example of public. a concern to text <laughs> us about. Uh, you know what? I will. I will tell it on the private podcast. <laughs> I'm not going embar- to embarrass her on the public on the public podcast. All right. Anyways, what we do during the lightning round, we try to answer the questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. <laughs> we put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like. And now you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place. Thanks to our good friend, Jessica Lynn Williams. She puts them over there at minimalmaxims.com. And we do also send you, if you're on our text list, every Monday morning, we will uh, send you a Monday morning minimal maxim just because we like the alliteration. We start your week off with a little bit of simplicity. So we we take any of our pithy sayings and we send you something special on Monday mornings. Miriam has a question for us. 
I've heard some people change their attitudes towards things like money after they felt close to dying. Have TK's ideas towards minimalism changed at all? Well, before we get to TK's idea, Ryan, do you have something pithy for us? I do. Uh, here's the pithy answer. The world's richest dead man is still dead. so what i like about this we're talking about money you're talking about intentionality and like i think quite often we try to amass treasures not really realizing Mm -hmm. the why behind it Mm -hmm. what am i supposed to do i'm supposed to get more money more 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 until i'm dead with more yeah you know it's interesting because i could see if tk was in that mindset of more 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 I could see where like maybe there would be this realization with simplicity in general, like, oh, wow, like I really spent a lot of time, you know, wasting just so I could have a bunch of things that now I'm going to have to leave behind. But, you know, as as a minimalist, for me, like, I don't see how that could, if anything, like when the car was flipping, Mm -hmm. what was going through my head was like, man, like this sucks. But if I die, like I felt like, I felt like I had lived a good life up to that point. Yeah. I didn't have any regrets. I didn't have any, you know, any traumas come up or anything. It was just more about like, uh, oh, wow, this sucks. But hey, man, you had a good run. Right. And now after everything (laughs) after this, so we finished one of the the chapters and love people use things. uh, Jason and Jennifer Kirkendall's story. What am I going to do with this newfound freedom? Mm -hmm. Because... Mm. You, you've closed that chapter and it's like mm. almost like you have a new birthday in a way. Yeah. The day that you almost died is like a rebirth yeah. in, in some way. And everything after that is that bonus time that we yeah. were talking about. Absolutely. I, I can tell you something that truly did die in me. It wasn't a near death. It was a, a real death. That is the desire to prove myself by outworking anybody on this earth. I can, I can give you the formula for completely destroying me in any competitive context. Show up and work 80 hours a week because I'm never competing with you for that. Mm. Never again. Like I've lived that life of being the last to leave, the first to show up. I know what it means to be the favorite coworker, the favorite employee. I know what it means to be the person that's willing to put his body on the line, say yes to everything and just go all out in the name of winning social capital, in the name of making money. And that is completely dead in me because, Mm. man, when it is over, all that really matters is how much time you spent living in a way that you actually believed in, living in a way that you loved and that you're proud of. And that will cause other people to tell the stories about you that you truly want to be told. And for me, it, it makes me step back and say, man, okay, we look at money as this permission grantor where we have ways that we want to live and money gives us permission to really say yes when we want to say yes, really say no when we want to say no. Mm -hmm. And you start to realize like, you know what? You can actually say yes to what you want to say yes to. And you can say no to what you want to say no to without the money. Mm -hmm. It's It's not that money gives you the permission to say things. It's that money sometimes softens the blow of having to deal with the consequences of owning who you want to be in the world. But you can own who you want to be with or without the money. You could say, no, you know what? I don't feel like doing that and I'm not doing it. And someone may say, well, fine, I'll take away this paycheck. Take it away. Whatever pain I have to experience, I'll experience it. But one thing I'm going to do in this life, I'm going to own myself and I'm going to show up and do whatever the hell I want to do. Like Derek Siver says, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm, I'm all in on that now. All in. Mm. And at yeah. the same time, we don't want to 
renounce the early work or the hard work or whatever else, because that's another form of clinging or renunciation. And so now it's not like, well, you know what? I'm never going to show up at work before noon now. It's like, right. right, Like I I want to show up before noon, but as a matter of religious belief, I'm going to renounce that. Right. Yeah. Silly. Where it's like, if I feel compelled, like some weeks I feel compelled to work 80 hours Mm -hmm. this weekend, I'm taking off. I'm actually taking Friday through Monday off. And that's the first time I've done it in years. Um, I generally take one day off every 14. I have like mm-hmm. a, a bi-weekly Sabbath. It's on yeah. a Wednesday. But <laughs> and when I do that, like I tend to work on weekends and everything else, but I don't do it because someone else is dictating that I must do that. It's right. Yeah. And it's I don't virtue signaling. No, yeah. and, and that's really what that like in the corporate world, that's what it is. It's it like it absolutely a, is. Look yeah. how valuable I am. Right. For me, it's like I feel yeah. so compelled. Like I would be miserable if I didn't do this work because this is the most compelling thing for me to do. Yeah. But of course, yeah. we have to put as beautiful as the music is. There has to be space between the notes. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just noise. Mm-hmm. You could tweet that podcast, Sean. But by the way, the root of the word culture is cult, right? And every company has a culture, which is a set of cult-like behaviors that seem necessary in order to be a legitimate part of that company. And so when we go to our jobs, and it's not just our jobs, it's our, it's our churches, it's our communities, our families, we can learn very quickly that there are behavioral signals that have a way of announcing to everyone, I'm legit. You, you, you mm-hmm. can figure out how to read the room and like, what time do I need to show up to be perceived as legit? Mm-hmm. You know, how busy do I need to look in order to be perceived as legit? You know, when I used to work at the restaurants, one of the things I found out really quickly is the importance of learning how to look sufficiently busy. Because even if you're working hard, if you don't look like you're working mm-hmm. hard, you lose a lot of trust and you lose a lot of respect. And so you learn to play these games of like, all right, I'm going to be productive and this is what I need to do to be productive. But in addition to that, Here are these other things I need to do in order to make sure that I'm looking as productive Mm -hmm. as I actually am. Because I can be productive, but if I don't look sufficiently productive, people won't trust me. They won't. And you get caught up in playing these different types of games that you find yourself following a cult that doesn't reflect the person that you want to be. And one of the things I love that Seth Godin says is always ask yourself, who am I becoming in the process of playing these games? Mm. Mm. Yeah, because if I'm playing the the wrong game, I'm becoming the wrong version of myself. And I don't mean morally wrong, but yeah. I mean, if I'm playing the game that I think I'm supposed to play because everyone else around me is playing it, yeah. Yeah. but that game is not for me, then yeah. it's turning me into a version of myself that I don't want yeah. to become. You're yeah. winning the game, but losing yourself. Yeah. Or we like lie to ourselves and say, like, we see everyone playing the game and we're like, oh, we're going to play it differently. We're going to, it's going to be different for us because I'm going to play it differently. And that, that's where I was in the corporate world. It's like, Hey, I am following the same recipe, but surely I'm going to bake a different (laughs) cake. Exactly. As soon as I take this thing out of the oven, you know, it's not going to taste the same exact way everyone else who followed Mm -hmm. this recipe. Of course, no, it's, you get that same result and it's fine if that's the result that you want, if that's the arrival that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. But then quite often what happens is we have our ladder leaned against the wrong building we've been climbing so long it's like almost as though like we just need to fall off and realize Mm -hmm. like oh i was climbing it took the fall for me uh, to realize like oh i was my ladder was leaned against the wrong building this whole time yeah but we get so far up it's like well it's scary to go down i guess i'll just keep climbing up i guess i'm supposed to keep playing this game i've already gotten so far it's like if you ever read 
a book that you dislike, but you've made it 200 pages in and like, I, I guess I have to finish it. Mm. I tried to walk out of the new Batman movie recently because <laughs> uh, I, I thought I was like this. I just don't, I don't, I don't dig this at all. It was all right. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was, I was like, we were already committed an hour and Bex was like, I, I kind of like it. I'm like, okay, I'll stay for you. But like, we'll, we're happy to walk out in the middle of a movie. Yeah. Oh, we've walked out of movies before, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, I think you're, no, that's not true. I've walked out on a movie with someone else before, but as far as like number of times I've walked out, the majority have been with you, which I appreciate because it's like we're 20 or 30 minutes into something and you're like, dude, are you enjoying this? I'm like, no, nah, not really. He's like, yeah, me either. Let's go. That's a superpower. Yeah. The willingness to walk away is mm. a personal superpower that anyone can harness. Yeah. I have two pithy answers for you. Mm. We waste our lives scared to death of death. Mm. We're scared to live our life. Because we're scared that something bad might happen. Mm. And if something bad happens to me, it says something to me about a person. So we die these little tiny deaths over and over, mm. right? We die the thousand deaths. And we're actually going to talk about this a bit on the, the private podcast about the things that we worry about that are outside of our control cause these daily little deaths mm. in us. One more pithy thing for you. Near-death experiences help us avoid near life experiences, which I think sums up this whole episode here, because if we walk through life, not really living, we're having these near life experiences. But if we open ourselves up to the potential that we're going to die, and sometimes it actually requires that near death experience, then maybe we can avoid the complacency, the apathy, the, uh, the, being extracted from the moment because we're constantly staring in the rear view. I wish I would have done this differently. I wish I would have done this better. I wish I would have been a better person. Why wasn't I good back then? Why did I make that mistake? Why did I fail? We're looking in the rear view or we're looking so far on the horizon. What's my legacy? What is, what are they going to think about me 10 generations from now that we're not looking right in front of us? And that causes all these other types of accidents. Mm -hmm. If you're driving your car, you're always looking in the rear view. You're going to crash. If you're driving your car and you're always looking at the mountain in the foreground, you're going to crash. But if you're right here, right now, and you're looking at what's in front of you, then you're actually here in the moment. And it's okay to glance in the rear view. It's okay to look off on the horizon, but you do that too much and you're going to crash. Mm. Speaking of uh, right here, right now, here's yeah. one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. We had to reschedule something. Ryan and I had a flight that got canceled. We were getting ready to fly out to Tennessee. We're working on this charity project or this philanthropic project with our friends from Ramsey Education. Ryan and I are from Dayton, Ohio. And we've done 10 different philanthropic projects over the last decade or so. And our most recent one is we're trying to provide financial literacy education to every middle and high school student in and around Dayton, Ohio. So Montgomery County area, yeah. right? So not just in, yeah. in the Dayton public schools, but that whole area, because that's something they don't teach us no. in school until now. Yeah. It's funny. I, the closest thing I had to it was, uh, it was like a home ec type elective class. So it wasn't required. It was just something that, you know, I, I think I already had like two or three study halls and the council was like, no dude, no more study halls. You have to pick an elective. So I just went to the easiest thing on the list and, uh, they did a budgeting class. And I just remember how 50% of the budgeting was all about debt payments, mortgage, car payment, credit card payment. It was like, yeah, it was crazy. Getting it, yourself in debt. Yes. It blows my mind. Like, I don't know why this isn't a standard piece of curriculum in, in middle schools and high schools, like showing kids how to stay out of debt and the value of, of, uh, 
of cash, basically. Well, um, thankfully, 25% of high schools in America have now taught this curriculum. It's yeah. called the Foundations in Personal Finance. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring that curriculum to every middle school student, every high school student in and around Dayton, Ohio, to teach them about personal finance, teach them about debt mm. and about avoiding debt, not borrowing from their future, avoiding yeah. debt when they go to college, yeah. getting a debt-free degree, right? Yeah. And then, of course, if you're going to get a mortgage, 15-year fixed rate, don't take on anything you can't afford, right. understanding a budget, understanding how to earn income. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about these things in school, and that's why this is so critical. Heck yeah. And so we're trying to help out. If you want to contribute, you can. It's theminimalists.com slash education. You can see a little bar there. We're mm-hmm. over halfway to our goal it's already. Awesome. It's, incre- it's incredible. Here's an incredible stat for you, TK. The average American household is in debt $97,750 in non-mortgage debt. Non-mortgage debt. It's yeah, insane. Yeah. So yeah, by helping us fill this bar all the way up, imagine all the years of suffering we'll be able to like save these kids from. That's amplified by debt. That's exactly it. And so we're going to go over to Ramsey Solutions on June 13th. You can join us there for a free event. We'll be there with hugs. Maybe we can even drag TK out there for that. We'll bring hugs and conversation. We're also going to be on The Ramsey Show and some other shows there. 2 p.m. on June 13th. You can find all the details at theminimalists.com slash Tennessee. You can come on out. It's free. You just have to register there beforehand so they know that you are coming. We'll give you a hug. We'll talk to you. We'll take some pictures. We'll have some fun for free. And if you want to contribute, theminimalists.com slash education. You can contribute there. $25 provides a year of curriculum for one middle school student, $45 for a high school student. If you want to contribute more than that, great. Or if you can just contribute $5, that'd be wonderful too. Anything you can do helps us help these kids not borrow from their future. Hey, man, personal thank you guys to participating in this and big shout out to Ramsey as well. Um, You know, C.S. Lewis says good philosophy must exist if for no other reason than that bad philosophy does. Mm. And I believe that financial literacy education must exist if for no other reason than that poverty producing ideas dominate our society. We may not teach our kids about investing, about wealth management, But they will definitely learn, whether we teach them or not, some really bad ideas about debt, consumerism, and so on, because they're constantly being bombarded with these things. And so one of the hardest things to do when you achieve financial freedom is to look back and remember with empathy the people that haven't achieved that financial freedom and to say, how can I give back in the form of insight, in the form of knowledge, in the form of mentorship, in a way that helps other people achieve their financial potential. Money isn't everything, but if you don't understand how it works and if you don't acknowledge that it is something, something very important, then it does become everything to you because you become a slave to bad ideas surrounding it. Mm. Very well said. I know uh, some people have some criticism about Dave Ramsey, and we're actually going to talk about that this week on our political clutter episode on the (laughs) private podcast. We have some really interesting, we have some wild, wild questions, and we'll get to that. We'll also talk about why we've partnered with Dave Ramsey on this Mm. and address some controversy and some some criticism over there. And I will say fundamentally, regardless of what you think of of Dave and, and the team over there, What we're simply trying to do here is help some kids. Yeah. This isn't about Josh. It's not about TK. It's not about Ryan. It's not about Dave. It's about 
kids in Dayton, Ohio, and changing their future mm -hmm. for the better by helping them avoid all the pitfalls that we were dragged through uh, throughout our 20s and even into our 30s trying to get rid of all of that debt that we oh got ourselves goodness. in. Oh, hey, my goodness. Yeah. Real quick, by the way, you know, like you said, some people have criticisms of Dave Ramsey. It's like, so first, some people have criticisms of those critics, right? Uh, secondly, I'm always amused when people say, I don't agree with everything that he says, because that seems to imply that there's someone out there for whom that is not true. Is there some human being out there <laughs> no. for whom you agree with everything right. they say? That really should be the default that doesn't need to be said, whether no. we're talking about Dave Ramsey uh, my father or myself, mm -hmm. the default should be, I don't believe everything that he says because he is a human being who is in the process of learning and will freely admit that there are things he knows today that he didn't know yesterday. So yeah, that's the default that doesn't need to be spelled out. But mm -hmm. I think a lot of people push that out there. Like, I don't agree with everything he says as a way of apologizing the fact for the yeah. fact that they have chosen to learn from someone that's a human being that another person may have a problem with. But man, I don't apologize for learning anything from anyone. If you've got something valuable that can help make me free, I'm going to take that knowledge. No apologies to anybody for who I choose to learn from. Preach. It's funny. One of the best compliments that I get is when someone will come up to us at a, in the hug line or at an event. And they're like, you know what? I listen to you and Josh all the time. I agree with about half of what you say. And, you know, the joke is like, it's my half, right? It's, <laughs> it's everything that I say, right? But of course, that's not what they mean. But, um, but it's a good compliment because I'm like, oh, great. Like you're, you're taking in what we're saying and you're forming your own opinion. And that's what this is all about. It's not about yeah. following a recipe. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's about creating your own recipe. So, um, yeah, I don't agree with, yeah, I don't agree with anything, with everything that anybody says. Right. Including myself. Yes, right. including myself. If yeah. you go back, we have 400 podcast or 342 podcast episodes. I'm going to disagree with myself on a large portion of those. And what does that mean? That mean that signals growth, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The willingness to walk away even from my old ideas, mm. certainly from old beliefs and opinions, if we cling to those things, they oh, are man. going to drag us in all of these directions in which we don't want to be dragged. And so, yes, TK, you bring up a great point. It should be self-evident to us that I don't agree with this person, whoever it is, T.K. Coleman, Ryan Nicodemus, Dave yeah. Ramsey, Joshua Fields Milburn. I don't agree with everything they say. Yeah. Well, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> because they're a human being. They're an individual yeah. with beliefs, opinions, mm. cultural influences, societal influences, dogma. Mm -hmm. But also they have a different understanding of the world yeah. than I do. And that's what makes life beautiful. We'll talk about that more on the private podcast, but come see us. If you are anywhere in or near Tennessee or you just want to make the road trip, theminimalists.com slash Tennessee will be there on June 13th at 2 p.m. We'll see you there. Alabama, what else you got for us? Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Hey there, this is McKinley calling from Oklahoma City. Um, I just had a tip for the other listeners. I, when going through my closet, um, noticed that a lot of things I held on to just in case. And so I decided to upcycle and repurpose my clothes. So I'm not a dress person. I ended up taking a lot of my dresses and cutting them into tops and then using the bottom part um, for creative things like headbands and tube tops and skirts. 
um, and all kinds of things. And then going through my clothes for donations, the things that I didn't want to repurpose or didn't need to hold on to, I put into a bag and I saved for a clothing trade party with my friends. So all of us go through our clothes and get donations and then sit around and exchange them. That way we know they don't go into landfills and that we are living sustainably. Hey, Josh and Ryan, it's Zach from the Bay Area here in California. Just calling in because I wanted to comment on Rashid from Massachusetts' comment about choosing whether to um, keep things in storage um, for his retirement home. Something me and my wife recently did was we let go of a couch uh, that we had been gifted not by actually selling it or giving it away, but by actually asking a friend to hang on to it. Um, and potentially give it back to us if later in life we were to find a two or three bedroom apartment or house here in the Bay that we could use it. So it was a win-win. Our friend got to borrow a couch and kind of enhance a kind of movie style garage. And we allowed ourselves to obtain more living space in our living room with a newer couch uh, that we recently acquired that, um, works with the aesthetic a little bit better, is a pullout for friends and family, and uh, ultimately just works better for us now. All right, y'all, stay tuned for some wild political questions here in a moment. We're going to talk about this week's Maximal episode, give you some teasers there. But first, check out this thoughtful comment from one of our lovely Patreon subscribers. Selena says, hello, minimalists. I finally subscribed to the private podcast on Patreon, and now I can get my other two thirds of the show. That's us. Every every week we do a Tuesday episode that's free for the public, advertisement free as well, because advertisements suck. And every Thursday we do a deep dive, talk about some things we wouldn't talk about in public. It's usually about twice as long as the minimal episode. It's a maximal episode. It's completely separate, but it will play in your favorite podcast app. So Selena, thank you for saying that. She says, it feels better than getting my recommended daily dose of veggies. (laughs) (laughs) Selena, I'll tell you this. Our show has fewer carbs. Absolutely. I wonder what Paul, Sa- Paul Saladino would say about her comment. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Well, Carnivore. He would say that our podcast is less filling, but more fulfilling. Yes, exactly. Yes. For added value this week, I wanted to talk to you about a terrifying look at our near, our near future that is filled with near life experiences uh, us not living a whole lot. There's this mm. book, uh, a novel that just came out by Dave Eggers. And I know Danny Unknown just started it, but I just finished it. It's called The Every. And it's a follow-up to the, bo- uh, the book, The Circle, which came out in 2013. And there are like six books I wish I would have written. And The Circle is one of those books. Mm. And this is a follow-up and it's even more terrifying. It's, it takes place in a, a near future that is dystopian. But what is the key of dystopian? Dystopian is like 98% utopian. And it's that 2% of the dystopia, Mm. the 2% of hell that makes it hell, right? Mm. Because you don't realize it because it seems seems like heaven Mm. when you lay it all out. But then you get behind it and you realize it takes all the life out of life. It turns everything into a near life experience. So it's about a tech company in the near future in Silicon Valley that in San Francisco in particular, uh, it's sort of this amalgamation. If if Google and Facebook merged and then they bought Amazon, it, this is the every. And they have sort of taken over the world. And now all of these ideas begin to permeate all these mm. apps. And it becomes more and mm. more 
surveillance state. Mm. And we all yeah. lose little bits of our freedom, not because they're stolen from us, but why do we lose our freedom? We give it up, mm-hmm. right? So the book is called The Every. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's by Dave Eggers. He, he's written some other amazing books. Besides The Circle, he wrote this great memoir ca- called A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius. By the way, we got a bunch more surprise questions about political clutter this week, TK. Here are a few samples for you. Who did the minimalists vote for in the last election? <laughs> and why <laughs> did they for vote for two different candidates? <laughs> Ryan, how could we possibly be friends after this? Yeah. How did TK's near-death experience affect his religious and political beliefs? Mm. Is my vote worthless? I'm considering not voting. Is this a privileged position? One of our listeners asks. What do the minimalists think about the war in Ukraine? What are the minimalist thoughts on abortion and Roe v. Wade? Oh, I can't wait to get into that one. Mm-hmm. Are the minimalists happy or upset that Elon Musk bought Twitter? I think I'm just going to let you, TK, cover this, uh, Maximal. <laughs> Ryan and I do have radically different beliefs on all these questions. So in some ways, they are perfect. And TK actually has a different belief, I think, than mo- both of us. And that's why we work so well with each other. We can ping these ideas off each other without holding a grudge mm. against one another. Yeah. Plus, we got a million more questions for TK Coleman and The Minimalist. And if you want to hear all that, check out The Minimalist private podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash The Minimalist to subscribe and get your personal link so that our weekly private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You'll also gain immediate access to hundreds of hours of archives, those private archives we have over there, recordings of live events, exclusive home tours, and our private community of thousands of open-minded minimizers like you. You can follow The Minimalist on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Minimalist or follow TK Coleman as well. We'll put links to his social media in the show notes. If you want our podcast show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list at theminimalists.com. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, TK Coleman, Podcast Sean, Malabama, Jordan No More, Social Jess, Danny Unknown, Post-Production Peter, who's filling in for Podcast Sean today. Let's give him a round of applause for being here today. I think we just post production Peter is a long moniker. I think P three P three works, right? Yeah. Post production Peter, yeah, P three works. P cube. Right. <laughs> I like P-cube. the alliteration. No, we're doing post production Peter. No, we're doing P cube. in the house. Sean, Sean wouldn't give up podcast Peter because of podcast Sean. Yeah, so he, he was uh, refusing it. to share it. I think it's P three. Anyway, uh, Peter, thank you for being here today. Also, Emma, the immigrant, and the rest of our team. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. If you leave here today with just one message. Let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it